Well, it's so good to be back. So good to be with you today. Would you repeat after me? Let everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. You know what? Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And you can always count on joy coming in the morning at Christ Journey Church. So good to be with you. Feel the joy. I'm behind the, the LED wall there just soaking up the spirit and, and sharing the, the joy and just saying, thank you, Lord. You've been so good. And um, speaking of joy in the morning, you're wondering, tomorrow morning I do go to the orthopedist and hopefully this is the last time you'll see me in this. So that'd be, that'd be joy in the morning. So now you know how to pray. Um, even as we celebrate with Pastor Ryan, isn't he sweet? Uh, as he was mentioning that at the end, I thought about a song my mother used to sing. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And uh, so may we share that sweetness on uh, this very special day today. Great to be with you today. I heard Daniel Pink speak at a Global Leadership Summit event, pre-event last year, and his topic was his book, uh, The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. Now, that's an intriguing title, right? Regret. Regret. How can that possibly be positive? Regret, that, that horrendous feeling that we get in our stomachs, um, can teach us how to use its strength as a way forward? Is that even possible? Because it seems like mostly regret is something that we try to avoid. We deny it, we, we bury it, we act like it doesn't exist. You know, like in the old song, uh, My Way, it said, regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention, right? Well, when you live in a do-it-my-way culture, then it's uh, sometimes best to keep your regrets unmentioned. And so we do. So this book is a treatment of, a, of an often ignored topic, our mistakes. What do you do with them? I mean, where do you go with your failures? Now, as pastor... This topic is part of my daily bread. You would expect, I mean, um, helping people experience God's freedom from forgiveness is like uh, core to Jesus' ministry. But to hear a leadership management business thinker like Daniel Pink piece it apart is very telling. He says the purpose of his book is this, to reclaim regret as an indispensable emotion and show how to use its many strengths to make better decisions, to perform better at work or school, and bring greater meaning to our lives. Huh. You know, Jesus' ministry was particularly powerful with people who had regrets. People with lives familiar with failure. People who didn't get it right every time. People with lives who knew the meaning of failure. And yet, okay, and yet, uh, they felt welcome around Jesus. Tax collectors, 
prostitutes. That's what we usually hear when we read the story of Jesus. People that were marginalized, especially as their failures went public. Maybe you know what that feels like. But they weren't the only ones who were attracted. I mean, not the only ones who found Jesus approachable. The rich came. The educated came. The affluent came. The powerful came. The extremely religious came. The judgmental, the smug, the self-righteous kind of wear their halos a little too tight, you know. Mark, the people that Mark Twain called good in the worst sense of the word. Churchy types. People who would condescend over others, blaming and shame them from their perch of superior self-righteousness. Don't tell me if anybody's coming to mind. But do people like that, do they have regrets? And what do they do with them? How do they deal with them? Well, Jesus tells a story in Luke's gospel that's just right on point. Chapter 18, we're going to pick it up. Verse 9 says this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now, you don't, you couldn't have chosen two people more opposite uh, in their public personas than a Pharisee, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> a Pharisee and a tax collector. Still getting my voice back. Pharisees were part of a strict sect of uh, Jewish law keepers. They were traditionalists who set themselves apart as holier than thou, holier than everybody, and they were commonly held by the community to possess a superior type of sanctity. Saul, who later would become Apostle Paul, was a self-righteous Pharisee before he came to Christ. Of course, he was very proud of it. This story could be about him. Tax collectors, on the other hand, they were seen as traitors to the law of Moses, traitors to their Jewish heritage. They were unscrupulous thieves who would use Roman military authority to squeeze money out of their countrymen. And they were commonly held to practice extortion, to overcharge and skim money off the top of what they collected so that they would make themselves rich, which they did. They were despised for how they leached off of society. And um, I mean, kind of like drug dealers making money from other people's misery. Zacchaeus was filthy rich from cheating like that as a tax collector. So, Jesus tells a story. He could, this story could be about him. Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector who both go to the temple to pray. They both go to church. The Pharisee stood by himself. Now, the Greek there is interesting. It means he stood toward himself. <laughs> he was alone, but it was focused this way. And he prayed like this. God, I just, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, like even like this tax collector. You know, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth 
of all that I get. He was full of himself. He's praying toward himself. It's all about himself. And he's just telling God how lucky God is to have such a fine, upstanding tither on his team. If you tithe, by the way, God bless you. But the tax collector, the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he just, he just beat his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me, sinner. Now, there's a word you don't hear every day, especially in our culture. And actually, in the Greek, though, it's interesting. It uses the definite article. It doesn't say the, a sinner. It says the sinner. Like, I am very well practiced in being the sinner. I'm, I'm the poster child. I'm the standout when it comes to sinning. Look at me. God, have mercy on me. The sinner. And then Jesus gives this punchline because the story's already over. He gives this punchline. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. His heart was right. But for all those, all those who exalt themselves, they will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So I want us to hear the story again without commentary. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He, he would not even look up to heaven, but he just beat his breast and he, he prayed, God, have mercy on me, sinner. And I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home with his heart right before God, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The story's about God's upside-down kingdom. Declaring, that this is what happens in God's kingdom. A dirty sinner gets declared freed and forgiven, and a self-righteous do-gooder is unclean and trapped and ultimately humiliated. It's a story about hypocrisy, guilt, and shame. And it's a story about how to handle regrets regrets. So how about some takeaways? Well, here's one. Everybody's got regrets. That's where we start. Everybody's got regrets. Even people with no regrets tattoos. You seen this? No regrets. Right. <laughs> this is a bedrock teaching of Jesus and of scripture. You've got regrets in your life. Welcome to the human race. You know, if you, if you think you don't have regrets or don't have reason for regret, then you have even more reason for more regret than you know. That's what Jesus is telling 
Everybody's got regrets, but not everybody admits it. There's the story. Some try to cover it up. Pretend. You know, they pretend they don't exist. They stuff them. They ignore them. They paint over them with self-righteousness, this whitewash, or this hypocrisy. It's kind of a, a line of religious cosmetics. Are you familiar with this? The word hypocrite means pretender, two-faced, an actor who wears a mask, hiding what's real. So some people hide by putting others down. And they, they think that it's a way to lift themselves up when they put somebody else down. But it doesn't fool God and it doesn't make anybody respect you more. Though somebody said, you know, to err is human, to blame the other guy is even more human. This is true. This is the human condition. This is part of the condition. It's part of your story. It's part of my story too. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Bible tries to make it as clear as it can. There is none righteous, not even one. None righteous. What? Yeah, all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, those aren't insults. Those are just facts. And, and the Pharisee who knew the Bible wasn't, just wasn't facing facts. It's as basic to Jesus as the kingdom prayer that he taught us to pray. You know this one where he says, you know, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Our social, emotional, and moral debts are part of the regrets that we're talking about. The Bible uses three basic words to describe the debts of our lives that bring regrets to our lives. The first one is, and, and each of them reveal a dimension about that. The first one is the Godward dimension. Godward dimension. We have regrets that come from Godward experience. The word there is transgression. You know this word? Transgression. It simply means I have rebelled. <laughs> I have mutinied. I, am, I have openly revolted against the government of God in my life. Theologian Emil Bruner says the whole human race could be called man in revolt. So rebellion against God leads to regret in our lives. How's that work? Well, what that means is we don't break the Ten Commandments. We break ourselves on them and then discover that, the Godward dimension. Then there's the manward and the womanward dimension, horizontal, and that's the word sin. You hear that around churches a lot, sin, the word sin. Uh, what it simply means is that... Um, You've missed the mark. It's, it's like in archery. If you were aiming at the target and your arrow fell short, you have sinned. You have missed the mark. You had a target set up and you failed to meet your own standard. And at this time, this isn't about transgressions against God. It's about, oh, this is how it affects other people. It's how it affects me. We failed to meet the standards that we set up for ourselves. And the Bible calls that sin. We missed the mark. And uh, then when we... When this happens, we blame and we shame 
others and ourselves, and then we wind up saying like Paul, I mean, in those dark conversations in your own soul, your conscience, I have the desire to do good, but I just can't carry it out. I mean, I keep trying, but huh, we missed the mark. So what do we do? Well, we cover it up. We see where the, here's how we do it. We see where the arrow hit, and then we go take our, and we paint a bullseye around where it hit and say, oh, I meant to do that. Right? We, uh, we pretend wherever the arrow hits, then we pretend that that's really, that's, that's real. That's called hip- hypocrisy. And then the third dimension is an inward dimension. So you've got God word, man, woman word, and inward dimension. And that word is iniquity. You don't hear that a lot, but we find it in scripture. And in the New Testament, it says that the mystery of iniquity is at work in humanity. And what it means, it's an inward word. It means that something is twisted in me that uh, needs straightening out, that my moral compass doesn't point to true north, that something's bent, that, that needs unbending, that something's crooked, that needs alignment. <laughs> the scripture's speaking to me, you know. So transgression means I have rebelled against God. Sin means that I have, uh, I have missed the mark, failed my own standards. Those are about doing. And then iniquity is about being. That's something inside of me that I, I want to fix, but I, I can't fix it. King David uses all three of those words in a prayer in Psalm 32. Here's what the verse that includes them. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. He's talking to God. I acknowledge my sin to you. There's that word. I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave me. You forgave my guilt of my sin. And that brings us to the second takeaway. Here it is. Everybody can find mercy from God. This is wonderful. Everybody has regrets, but everybody can find mercy from God. But you won't find it if you cover up. This is the wisdom of the Proverbs as well. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sins, tries to hide them, does not prosper, but the one who confesses them and then renounces them, then they will find mercy. Hypocrisy is about cover-up. Humility is about mercy. And Jesus' story that we just read, it illustrates this truth, that the humble sinner who is practiced in their sin will find complete forgiveness when they come with humility. And then, as if the reader might have missed it in the gospel, he underlines it in the next story he tells in the gospel. He says, this is where Jesus says, oh no, let the little children come to me because don't hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you that anyone who will not receive the kingdom as a little child, they'll never enter it. So it's Jesus promising kingdom blessing to everyone who comes humbly, who humbles themselves. 
which means that, I mean, here's the rest of the story that the parable tells us. You know, there's, there's no there is no self-exaltation plan in existence that can get you justified before God, that can get your heart right before God. There's no pick yourself up by your own bootstraps or I'll try harder next time or I'll turn over a new leaf. There's no self-driven plan of salvation. Nobody dances into heaven singing, I did it my way. (laughs) Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy who, who lives blindly blaming others. This is a Pharisee. Be the get over yourself guy. The get over yourself guy who risks transparency in public, but in search of mercy. And then you'll discover that God forgives. This is the story Jesus is telling us. This is the story Jesus tells us in this. You know, this is how Zacchaeus got in the kingdom. This is how Matthew, the disciple, got in the kingdom. Two tax collectors in the kingdom. And we just saw it in the story of Jesus, and then we heard it in the, in the book of wisdom from Proverbs. What about the prophets? What do they say about this? Well, Isaiah says, come let us reason together, says God. He's quoting the Lord saying this, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, and though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What does that mean? Well, the difference between scarlet and crimson is to make a fabric scarlet, you just dip it in the dye once. But a scarlet fabric becomes crimson when it repeat dips again and again and again and again. And what about those times when, Lord, I, I, don't, I, I won't do it, I won't do it. I did it, I did it, I did it, I did it. Scarlet, crimson and scarlet. And he says, you know what? I got all of them covered. Doesn't matter how many times you've been stained, they're going to be white as snow. And then the Christmas angel shows up. There's the wisdom, the wisdom, the prophets. The Christmas angel shows up and says, Oh, you give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their what? Sin. Regrets. Christ is our advocate. John the Baptist, in his ministry, Jesus walks up and John says, oh, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of Bill's world. No, of your world. Of our world. So the Apostle John says this, if any man sins, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Thank you. Okay, well, if all of that's true, then why do we hide? I mean, why do we cover it up? Why do we play the hypocrite? Well, psychologists say that it's for emotional safety, that we're trying to protect ourselves from rejection, from embarrassment. And so... uh, They also say that anxiety, fear, and insecurity, those are what drive us into denial. You know, denial, of course, is not me, not my problem, 
so the question is, because who doesn't have anxiety, fear, and insecurity, you know? Like, what's going on? Okay, so the question is, is there another way to deal with our fear than uh, trying to cover it up or medicate it away or be a perfectionist and then turn into this kind of judgmental control freak? Pharisees. By the way, thank God we don't have any Pharisees at this church. They make it hard on the rest of us. So here we come to the final takeaway. Because in Jesus' kingdom, we face regret through self-awareness, humility, and God's mercy on how we treat ourselves and how we treat one another. See, the way to freedom... Jesus is telling us is through confession and faith, not through hypocrisy and pride. Christ followers make their way through a world of regret, not by pretending it doesn't happen, and not by putting others down, and not with fault finding and blame, but by asking God to help us, to help us, uh, to help us face more fully our own need first, and then apply that wisdom and mercy with others. Uh, James, Jesus' half-brother, who came to faith in him after the resurrection and wrote, you know, the letter of James, in chapter 5, he says, this is, this is really how Christ followers ought to behave with one another in small group. So when somebody asks you for prayer, he says, you know, let's share our regrets with each other and confess to each other so that praying, healing can come from our prayers. It's like he, he knew that there was power in confessing our regrets with each other that causes regrets to lose its power. Huh. Who knew? Okay, let me say that again because this really matters. James is saying, you know what? There is power in confessing your regrets, in sharing your regrets with one another that takes the power out of regret. Okay, so where do we... Where do we feel safe enough to do that? Where do you learn how to do that? And, of course, Jesus is saying, well, you got to start with the man in the mirror and ask him. Ask him to change his ways, beginning with the self-imposed blindness that self-righteousness brings. You know what VR headsets are? Right, you do, right? This kind of VR headset. Virtual reality that invites us, invites the user into another world of possibility. But to get there, you've got to put on the headset and let it define your reality. Right? And it's not real-time true reality. It's virtual reality. It's not the real thing. And it feels like it is. It looks like it is. It seems like it is. But it's not. It's virtual To get to virtual reality, you've got to block your eyes from true reality. And that's what self-righteousness does. It blocks us from seeing true reality in search of a virtual make-believe. By the way, sales are up on VR headsets during COVID. Lots more people were buying them. And so I, I looked this up, and I, did you know, so are accidents and ER room visits from HR headsets or VR headsets. 
um, up 352%. For like the study I saw said a total of 1,336 ER visits about bodily injury resulting from VR headsets, user injury, fractures was the top one, lacerations, contusions, not including injuries done to others or damage done to property by the user. I'm thinking self-righteousness is like a VR headset. It limits one's perception about what's true and it places others at risk. And here Jesus is telling us this amazing story about somebody who was blind to his own and missing the opportunity of heart freedom doing damage. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says the solution, the solution to this problem, to regrets, is uh, self-awareness with humility, not fault-finding and blame. He said this, Matthew chapter 7, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? I'm sure that was like hyperbole, exaggerated. People were laughing. What a joke, you know. First, he says, you hypocrite, Jesus says. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If you really want to help somebody else, then start here. Self-awareness. Humility, confession, and mercy. This is the way the unstoppable kingdom of heaven deals with regrets. Sometimes the evil one will tell you that your regrets are going to block you, keep you, hold you back. And I'm telling you, not in the unstoppable kingdom. (laughs) The grace of God, the unstoppable grace of God can free us up from every single one of those regrets. But here's how it starts. Self-awareness. Humility, stop hiding, stop running, talk to somebody about it, confession, and then receive the mercy of God. John, the beloved apostle, uh, the fisherman who was willing to call lightning down out of heaven and burn up a village of unbelievers on one occasion, now his life is so transformed by Jesus that he's known as the apostle of love. He writes this in his letter, if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even the unrighteousness of self-righteousness, the blinding unrighteousness. The prophet Isaiah says that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Of course, compared to holy, holy, holy God, all of our Our self-righteousness is going to be found out. But holy God is a forgiving God. Those travel together. So the forgiving God who completely washes away our sins in the blood of the new covenant that was shed in the body of his son, his own flesh and blood in the new covenant so that our sins might be washed away. And then this is a wonderful verse. Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. If you don't know that Bible verse, you need to memorize that one. You're going to use that one again because the evil, the evil one, the accuser is going to come to you and remind you, oh, remember when you did that? Remember when you did that? Why should God even talk to you? Why does he want to have anything to do with you? What, this is God speaking here. Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. What that means is God doesn't hold grudges. 
God is not going to hold your mistakes and your failures against you. Instead, he always remembers to forget them. That's why this verse matters. Jesus takes them from us as we release them to him in humble confession. Confession isn't simply speaking my misdeeds into the air. It's me giving them to Jesus to bear. I transfer them to him. And that's where the freedom comes. But we also got to realize going to church and praying doesn't mean you're going to find God's blessing. Because that's something else that the story shows us, you know. The Pharisee and the tax collector both went to church. They both said prayers. Huh. Jesus said, well, one of them got heard. Just going to church. By the way, I'm so glad you came to church. <laughs> and I hope you'll say a few prayers while you're here. But just going through the motions doesn't guarantee the blessing. Jesus said, you got to learn how to worship with your spirit and in truth. That means you leave your VR headset outside. And let God speak truth to you and take the blinders of pride and self-righteousness off. Not because God is going to send you on some reject you and send you on a guilt trip, but because he wants to open your eyes wider in self-awareness. And then show you that you are covered in the blood of Christ and accepted in the beloved. Self-righteousness blinds and distances us from God. There is no do-it-yourself program, no self-help book in the kingdom of heaven, but the king can let you in. And here's the best part of the story. He wants you in. He wants you in. So maybe a word here to our young people, you know, on the front end of your journey. Um, I saw this and thought of you. A wise person learns from their mistakes. A wiser person learns from the mistakes of others. So be wiser. <laughs> you know, be wiser. Don't, don't make all your own mistakes. Um, be willing to let your parents make some of them for you. And your pastors and your teachers and your leaders because I'm telling you, everybody has regrets. And sometimes when a leader is trying to help or a parent is trying to help a young person, it's not that they're trying to keep you from fun, it's that they're trying to keep you from unnecessary regrets. So we're counting on you to be wiser but to allow us to make the journey together so that we can keep learning the kingdom's response to regrets. I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all of our selfish grief could be dropped at the door like a shabby old coat and never put on again. I love that poem. But I'm here to tell you there is such a place. It's the kingdom of heaven. Not out there somewhere. But right here, when Jesus is allowed to get beyond the masks and where we trust love to cast out fear and mercy to swallow mistakes 
This is the place where regrets become new beginnings. This is the place. This church is a colony of heaven where shame meets grace and where God makes things right when we humble ourselves and welcome his forgiveness. So my prayer today that I want you to join me in, please just whisper this with me. It's another one of the prayers of King David. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, like a spiritual MRI or, a, or an X-ray. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way of life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this incredible story. We thank you more for giving yourself so that we might find our way through regrets and into freedom. Brother, sister, Christian, you've been thinking God's holding a grudge against you. He's not. But it's keeping you, that, that thought is keeping you from feeling close to him and he would like for you to lay it down today right now and then whatever those regrets are whatever those mistakes are whatever that thing you said was whatever that thing you didn't do was and, and it's just giving you such grief he wants you to bring it to him right now just put it in his care and realize that he has already borne it on the cross would you do that Jesus, I'm turning from my perform self-made performance plan and I am admitting once again, I can't fix this. I can't fix myself. So I bring myself to you. Cleanse me, wash me according to your promise and free me that I could taste the mercy that you promised the tax collector that day. I don't want to be like that guy who was so full of himself he didn't even see what was going on. I want to be like the one who honestly came in truth and said, help me. Now, friend, perhaps you're here and you haven't dropped anchor with Jesus yet. This is the day to do that. He went to the cross for you. He rose from the dead for you. And he brings his forgiveness and his power to give you freedom today. And if you would like to begin that faith journey, I would, I'm going to offer a prayer now and you can join me in it. Lord Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross to take my sins because you love me. And thank you for rising from the dead so that now your spirit can come alive in me. And so I open my heart. I welcome you. I give you my transgression, my sin, my iniquity. I just invite you to go to work inside me with new freedom and joy. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Now our heads are bowed just for a moment longer, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hand and just hold it up for a moment so that I can thank you 
one, two, three, over to my far left, and then here in the front, one, two, three, God bless you, four, five, toward the back, amen, six, and then to my right, amen, God bless you, one, two, um, Lord Jesus, our family is now praying for each of these who by uplifted hand have said, my heart is open. And we, we thank you that you've already heard that prayer and that your spirit is alive in them now. May they sense the freedom of joy that you, that you bring and the peace of heart that you have as we make this prayer in your name. Amen.